This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. Benjamin Thomas, author of the new crime novel, Jack Be Quick, joins me, Eric Render King Fisk, at Toadstool Bookstore in Keene, New Hampshire, to talk about writing, where ideas come from, and what makes a good villain. Special thanks to Toadstool Bookstore in Keene, New Hampshire. And be sure to visit them on their webpage, toadbooks.com. I don't know, the, the most important thing that I think that everybody wants to know when somebody who writes something like this, where do you come up with these ideas? <laughs> Tell us about your, who are, who are you and where did you come from? Oh boy. Um, well, geographically, you said Connecticut. I was born there, lived in New England my entire life. Uh, but the idea for Jack Be Quick, which revolves around a paramedic who gets injured on the job and then he gets wrapped up in this copycat killer who's trying to mimic the jack the ripper killings so jack the ripper is where i got that idea right and that um kind of spawned that narrative so now a lot of people want to know what about your upbringing that turns you into um an author of such creative crime fiction a lot of video games (laughs) (laughs) when you were a kid what was your favorite video game oh probably uh the original Sonic, Mortal Kombat, Doom, you know, the violent horror ones that everyone yells at kids for playing nowadays but sell the best. You're going to rot your brain, Eric. <laughs> that's, you, that's, that's, that's my impression of my dad. So, but the, the, so were you a, an adamant reader of true crime when you were younger or before you started writing? Believe it or not, no. I um, actually recently got into true crime probably four or so years ago when I finally got a desk job and kind of had to grow up and couldn't just sit there at a computer doing work, had to do something else. I discovered podcasts and the plethora of true crime podcasts (laughs) out there. But no, I was never really into true crime. I like the X-Files and I wish that was true. It probably is somewhere. Somewhere. Oh, you've you've heard my other podcast, The Metaphysical Connection. There is some some truth to that. Um, And and by the way, here in the background, we have the uh, the beautiful Erica. Um, So... Yeah, she made the trip up with me. So, so um, what what makes a good hero in um, in in crime novels like this? Your and and your your hero is he's not a cop, he's not a lawyer, he's not an investigative reporter, um, but best of all, he's not a podcaster. He's a paramedic. <laughs> <laughs> How did you come up with the idea of having having an investigator be a paramedic? So I was an EMT for four or five years there, and they always tell you, you know, write what you know, but you can't write exactly what you know, um, because then you're writing, you know, an autobiography, that kind of stuff. But uh, so after, you know, that gave me the experience to kind of write that, and I wanted to do something different because a lot of the true crime novels, and there's nothing wrong with them, they're they're great novels, um, or even the fictional ones, it's you have your damaged cop or right. damaged, you know, investigator. And I wanted to have that damaged piece of it, but I wanted to come from a different, different angle. And I figured the medical paramedic side would be a different take on it. Because I don't think anybody has ever done that before. 
I'm, I mean, maybe I haven't, I haven't seen it, right. but I mean, they do have their, their doctor shows and their, you know, their damaged physicians or emergency workers, but they yeah. don't usually get involved in true crime. Sure. So. Sure. And, um, n- now talking about this book and somewhat being so quasi autobiographical, <laughs> okay. is it, is it, is no. this a little by, I mean, um, I mean, it's based, so the location in it is kind of based where we grew up. Uh, so some of the, they're named different places, but if you, if you were to read it and then drive through, you know, yep. Northeastern Connecticut, you'd, you'd be able to recognize it. it. But yeah. other than that, there's no, I don't have a, a drug problem like the main character and, <laughs> you know, I've never solved a murder like the main character. <laughs> but other than that, everything else. It's kind of relatable. Yeah. Yeah. What is, um, what is your your passion or how is it that you became an EMT originally? What made you want to become an EME or a paramedic? So, oh, so I kind of like fell into that. Um, I wanted to be a firefighter big time. And in the small town fire departments, you're a volunteer and they respond to medical calls and fire calls. And I didn't know that until I started getting into it. And, you know, to get certified for a firefighter, you go to the fire academy, that kind of stuff. And the next class wasn't for six months after I joined. And our chief said, well, there's an EMT class that starts next week. So I signed you up and you're doing that. And it just kind of pushed me into it. Yeah. So... Now, do you remember your first calls as a, as an as an EMT? I don't remember my first calls as an EMT, but there are ones that you you don't forget. The stick with you, yeah, yeah. But um, I remember my first call with the fire department. That was I remember I pulled into the station and grabbed my gear out of the back. We went to the call. We came back, and I was rushing and so nervous. The first mm-hmm. time I left my trunk open. Yeah, so my car was sitting in the station parking lot with its trunk open. Like, okay, yep, I'm the new guy. But, that's yeah. you, it's, that's, that would be like that's easier and more obvious than having like the newbie. Yeah, yeah, that's the, true. The, the cap. And now, did any of these experiences as an EMT make their way into your book? Um, yeah, there. I mean, there's a couple things. I remember when I was working with my editors, who were fantastic. They would they would make some comments like, you know, this verbiage doesn't make sense, or you know, why are you doing it like this? And the answer is just because that's how it's done on the job. That's how you people speak. Yeah. That's yep. and that's and he would stick with that. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah, what is? Um, I want to ask you about what makes a great villain, but I'm going to save that for later. What is? <laughs> what's the writing process in a, a work of? like this so i i'm not an outliner i don't i don't like to plan it i right. just kind of like to go and then revise a couple times because i don't mind doing revisions or editing i think it's it's fun to go back and see um your characters again yep but it would an outline would have helped because as i was doing this and i got involved with the ripper piece of it i wanted the dates in the book to correspond with like the actual ripper killings yes so i had these scenes between the murders that in this book were a week and then i'd go back and look at dates like you actually need this to be three weeks and an outline would have saved me a lot of that work but so i mean it's it's just a process i think each one's a little different so you're going on the voyage as with the main character you are just along for the ride Mm -hmm. and did you know how it was going to end before you started i i didn't know oh that's a that's great i had no idea i um i knew like three quarters of the way through the book i knew where like the final climactic moment was gonna where it was gonna take place but i didn't know what the outcome of that was gonna be and actually it was different and then i sat down i think with erica and one of my editors and we looked at and we had to change a couple things because it didn't really make sense so it's an it's a 
ever evolving yeah. process. Now, what is it about Jack the Ripper that you find so fascinating? And I'm going to follow that up is what, why, how come we can't get over Jack the Ripper? So the re- the answer to your second question is the same reason as why I'm drawn to him is because we have no idea who he was or if she was. I mean, there's just, we will, until we invent time travel, we will never know. Right. And that's, I think that's why everyone's aware of them is because it's one of those great mysteries of, you know, human existence is who was Jack the Ripper. Right. Who do you think he was? So there's a bunch of theories. Um, my favorite one is just not plausible, but there's this this one that's way out in left field that he was actually H.H. Holmes, who was like America's first serial killer, but the timing doesn't add up. He'd right. have to be like three when he was committing yep. the murder killings or whatever, so it, it just doesn't work. Um, but there are theories anywhere from it was a wife of a doctor who was having an affair, and that's why she targeted you know prostitutes, prostitutes yeah. that kind of stuff, to it was a butcher who was practicing. I, I mean, there's so many, I honestly couldn't make an educated guess right. under which one. But well, there are a ton of educated guesses, and they, yeah. they haven't figured it out yet. So maybe no. it would take an amateur sleuth, sleuth yeah. like yourself to figure it out. Maybe. So I mean, is, are there other serial killers that will show up in future books of yours? Um, maybe the one, the other one that I was really that I really liked was the Zodiac Killer, just because yep. of you know the puzzles he left for the cops, because that's yeah. why I was kind of drawn to it. But I'm not sure. I, I've explored a couple, a couple of them, but that's the big one who sticks yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like the fact that they're they're sort of unsolved mysteries, and you, your character can, or your characters in your books are able to sort of solve copycat killers like that? Is is that the allure? I, I it's part of it. I definitely like that they're unsolved because it also kind of shows that we as a as a society and a police force and all that, as much as good work that they do is we're not perfect. And there's ones that we're never going to figure out. Yeah. And it kind of, it can bring humanity down a couple pegs, which needs to happen every once in a every, while. Yeah. Cause we get a little too inside of our head and yeah, stuff like that. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, so what, what makes a great villain? What makes for a great villain in, in any, whether it's your book or any other book? Justifiably evil. Like anyone who's doing something just just to do it isn't going to have any any relation to the reader or the watcher if they're on you know Netflix or right. some show like that. But if you can understand why they're doing their actions, then I think that makes a great villain because then you'll end up getting the reader will end up feeling a little bit of sympathy for them, and it it makes more of a complex uh, situation for yeah. the reader. Yeah. One of the things that you and I also have in common is that we're kind of like quasi obsessed with like true crime shows mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Is there one that really sort of sticks out in your mind? Oh, we just got talking last night. We had friends over and we were talking about that, the stairwell case or that documentary just came out on Netflix yes. and we haven't seen the documentary yet, but there was a podcast, I think Generation Y did an episode on it and yeah. that one's kind of fascinating just because of the the reasons of the defense and all that threw out there were so left field that sometimes it just it blows your mind um but as far as true crime ones that really stuck with me i mean we get we argue about john benet ramsey quite a bit even though yeah. that's a pretty well-known one but there's just there's a lot out there right yeah but there is there there are those crimes like john benet ramsey that is just still left unsolved and they capture the imagination yeah well there are other other crimes that just don't yeah capture the imagination well what about you what are any true what's your 
Oh, I'm I'm on the spot. Here. <laughs> I gotta ask. <laughs> um, oh, geez. Um, uh, everything that my father was ever involved with, it was never uh, never solved. I think that's fast. I'm just kidding. I, I like to make <laughs> I, jokes. I wasn't gonna say anything there. I was like, where are we going with this? <laughs> I like to. I like to because my dad was a little crazy, and a lot of my listeners know that I like to make funny references to my dad. I think that the. Um, all all the true crimes all the actual crimes that were like never solved um i mean the thing is is that you could kind of like consider the jfk assassination as being a true crime oh absolutely and and who did it i mean oswald couldn't have done it alone could he have i mean i'm starting to believe stephen king's version where we're going back in time to try to plan stuff but that's a that's not i mean they found out at the end of the movie the rock didn't they yeah yeah <laughs> you know but no there that's one that'll go down too yeah it's never solved absolutely absolutely um so so you're so you're obviously a writer what what about your day job is there anything you could talk about your day job and how it affects your writing and and as a writer how do you how do you how do you maintain a day job and a life outside of 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 writing and writing and like a lot of caffeine a lot of caffeine (laughs) (laughs) um yeah a lot of caffeine not a lot of sleep but if you i mean if you want want to do it you make time for it and that's with anything but as far as the day job goes the the former day jobs in the hospitals and and work in the ambulance they would influence just because you're exposed to such a wide range of people that it's good for um like character development situations and it's really good for helping with dialogue because you watch people's mannerisms when they talk that kind of stuff right so right and you meet a lot of people in your books in your in your life that influence the characters in your book are there is there is there anybody who's going to read your book and you're going to say oh crap he's he's writing about me so my my mother read it when it when it came out and she called me the next day because there's one character in there who she's convinced is my brother and she hates how I portrayed him and I keep telling her over and over it wasn't him and like it's not Max but she won't let it go but no not this one although I'm I'm working on a new one right now where there's a couple in there I'm, I'm reading it now that it's done I'm a little nervous I like subtly like subconsciously yeah, worked people yeah, in I'm like yeah great yeah. Like and, and but the thing is, if when people do go to you and say, "I know this is me," like how do you respond to that? Knock on wood, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Hoping it doesn't. <laughs> but now, is it? A lot of people are going to wonder. I already know the answer to this, but is is this your first book? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have uh, about a dozen short stories out, and this was the first novel. Yeah. yeah. So what was what was the entire process like of when you you so you have the manuscript and you have mm-hmm. the manuscript done, now you now and and Erica must have read the the whole thing as you know in the process, yeah. And she's she's nodding enthusiastically. <laughs> yeah. um, were there were there parts of the book that that you wrote that you were like oh this is just beautiful I love this part but then you had to cut it out because it doesn't fit the narrative. There were a couple parts I I liked that that had to get cut um and actually this this draft the final book has is an entirely new and different first chapter than the manuscript i submitted to my editor and publisher yeah. so there that was an interesting thing where it wasn't necessarily a cut where they're like we actually need you to add about five thousand more words and we don't want it to start here so figure out a different place for it to start i was like oh all right guess guess we're doing that yeah but it was a good process, and um, like I said before, my editors were great in the back and forth 
was fantastic. So I have yeah. no complaints about that. Yeah. And now, were there parts of the book that Erica had said, yet yeah, you, you have to cut this out or you have to include this? No, but she came, I remember uh, she, when she was reading the, the, the final draft before I submitted it and all that, she came home and she like threw her bag down. She's like, we need to have a conversation. It's like, okay, because there's one part in the book I can't go into it without spoiling it, but it, she wasn't too happy with. She. Eric, do you, do you want to do you want to grab a microphone and you can <laughs> tell us all about it? Or yeah, she's a she's a she's a little microphone shy. Yeah. So and and we're, we we got a little bit of an audience now. Yeah. People are starting to show up. Would you Would you like to read an expert excerpt of your book? Oh, if you're putting me on the spot. I am I am putting you on the spot. I mean, if people want to listen, I guess. All right, so I guess, yeah, I'll, I'll just read a couple of pages. Um, it's in the beginning of the book, uh, before Noah has his act, who's the paramedic, the main character, has his accent. He's uh, responding to a rollover down an embankment. Um, so Noah threw the SUV in park, shouldered his med bag, and headed for Buckland's assistant chief, a meaty man standing with his heavy bunker jacket open and one foot on a rock where a guardrail should have been. Anderson, the chief bellowed, tie the trunk off, use a wedge, Noah stopped at his side, leaning over to look down the embankment as two light poles flicked like bright artificial suns. He felt the chief's hand hit him in the chest. Someone drove by, saw the headlights, and called it in, unresponsive, and we don't know how long. So Noah was over the edge and sliding before the chief could add anything else. It was a sedan. Tire marks were carved into the ground. The car was wedged between a tree and a large rock. This far from the road meant whoever was in the driver's seat had been hauling. His boot slid on dry leaves and loose dirt. He tried to shift his weight, but he had too much momentum. Rotating at the last second allowed him to throw his shoulder against a tree to stop from tumbling the rest of the way. He hurried to the back of the car while motioning for a firefighter to move out of the way. He wedged his bag through a shattered rear window and climbed through after it. A volunteer first responder was in the back seat holding the driver, a young woman, by the head and neck to prevent any further injury. Did you get vitals, Noah asked? Nothing. The first responder wiped his cheek against his shoulder. They're grabbing a backboard. He pulled the pen light from his pocket and checked each eye. Pupils were reactive. The first responder shifted, his hand slipping. The woman's face slumped forward, and Noah dropped his pen light, scrambled to keep her head straight while the man in back repositioned his hold on her neck. He unzipped his bag and pulled out a cervical collar, blue plastic and thin padding. He ripped the cellophane off and slid it around her neck, adjusting the Velcro and repositioning the MRT's hands over it as a reassurance. Noah fished through for an IV kit. Just as his hands hit the plastic, the car rocked. Metal screeched as it dragged across what he could only assume was a large rock holding them in place. His eyes locked with the first responder in the back seat. The world outside the car went still. Every firefighter and technician stood frozen as the scraping metal sound faded to nothing. The car moved slightly, a sway, like the Titanic beginning to lift from the water. Noah's stomach lurched, and though it was a ridiculous idea, he thought the mere motion of his inside moving could potentially send the car toppling down the rest of the way. He heard the crunch of leaves, the snaps of branches, as the crew outside the car slowly began to move again. The assistant chief's voice echoed from the top of the embankment. There was a knock on the passenger window, caused Noah to look up, a woman firefighter with a window punch in her hand. They were prepping to get the jaws of life in place. The passenger window was going, she shouted, glass shattered. Behind him came a jarring metal bang as a firefighter jammed the jaws of life, a massive pair of hydraulic cutters against the post separating the windshield and the now shattered passenger window. They had to get her out of the car, out and stabilized and intubated. Her oxygen level was dropping and there was no safe way for them to wedge a backboard into the car. They could pop open the driver's side door, but with the angle of the car, they would be pulling her weight up and onto a backboard to run the extreme risk of losing balance and dumping her. They're going to cut, the guy in the backseat said. His eyes were wide and Noah tried to figure if this was his first accident. Okay, 
He repositioned, stuck his foot in the corner where the passenger door on the dashboard met. There came the whine of the hydraulic tool, a lobster claw the size of a man's chest. The metal in the post resisted, crumpled, and a deafening bang exploded in his ears. A soldier's flash grenade of hero in combat. Pressure and pain slammed into his right knee, driving it backward, bending it until it snapped. And so that's the actual accident that kind of messes him up because what will happen is for those who are on a department it goes into a little bit in the next um, chapter newer cars have airbags in their posts between the the engine and the and the back seat and when they get into accidents if the car is on and they don't kill the power those airbags are still charged so when they cut with the tools they can actually explode and that's, that's what, happened what happened in the boat yeah yeah, yeah. so now, a lot of people are probably going to be asking, is that based on, a, on a, an actual event? Not one that I witnessed, um, uh -huh. but if you want to YouTube it, there are plenty of videos of people who have done it, um, either as tests for, you know, the fire academies to show yeah. this is why you don't do it, or incidents on real scenes that were picked up from dash cams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, is, that is pretty exciting. What, yeah. what is it about that scene that you like so much that you wanted to read out loud? I figured, I mean, I like it because it puts you right on scene and kind of gives you a little bit of the chaos going around and it, it touches on, you know, what happened to him. He, and it goes, following it, it wait, he wakes up in the hospital and you, you realize, you know, he shattered his knee, broke his leg, like that, yeah. that whole thing. So it's kind of the, the tip of when he gets down through his downward spiral. Yeah. 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 Does anybody have any any questions? Or we have a we have a microphone that Jasmine Jasmine has a question. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll take any if anyone wants, or I know for for the podcast, or yeah, because the thing is, is that well, I mean, we really sort of touched upon a lot of things that it's like that are that are just really sort of common questions that people have always wanted to know. Um, have they actually asked you about like you know optioning this for a movie yet, or so it got um, when I first sold it to the publisher there every time a book sells there's like this market board that the announcements go on and everyone um everyone in the industry reads it and uh we were we were reached out by a production company the same one that did the movie evolution with david duchovny if anyone's seen that yeah it was i love fantastic that fantastic movie funny as hell still funny i mean yeah. to this day i love that movie when yeah. when sean william scott is singing in the mall yeah it's the greatest thing uh they contacted us and and we're reviewing it so Hopefully, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a it's a great read. It's a it's a quick read too. Yeah. I mean, it's um, now does the does the publisher have have put any pressure on you? Are we gonna are we gonna are we gonna see your 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 guy again? Are we gonna see your character? Um, there's not plans for a sequel for this one. Um, just because I thought wrapping him into something else traumatic might be just too unrealistic. Right, right. But I'm working on another book that's it just kind of like exists in the same universe so he makes a quick cameo in the beginning yeah there we go okay okay um how long did it take you to write this book from start to finish uh that's a good question um i think about a year actually and then it took that's when i started submitting it and then the editing process was another i think six months so about a year and a half total Wow, that was yeah, that was a while. Yeah, you don't think about it while you're doing it, and then right. when you're done. Like, and the, and 
where do the I, this is because the thing is Harlan Ellison actually went off on this topic where somebody had come up to me and says where do you get all your ideas and Harlan Ellison says I, I get them from a little place called Schenectady <laughs> and of course somebody had asked him for that address but the but the uh, where do you come up with the, these ideas for your books Sir, or, your bo- or your book and you're the book that you're working on now to be completely honest it's um a lot of it's music like I'll be I'll listen to a song and then kind of like mental music videos happen and yeah I'll get one scene and then try to write something off that yeah that's that's really where they come from yep now young writer is sitting here in the audience probably and he's probably wondering how do I get started in, in working on a book how do you how do you go about that I mean as, as cliche as it is you, you just got to do it I mean you can have because and this ha- happened to me when I was beginning, and I actually um, just recently saw Ruth Ware talk um, about her new book, and she kind of said the same thing. Like, you can have the plans, you can have the idea, I'm gonna do it, you can have the outline or whatever, but until you, you actually sit down and, yeah. and write the book, or the story, um, or the poem, or the article, it's just, it's not gonna happen you until you do, do it. it. Is, there, is there such a thing for you as writer's block, and if there is, how do you blast through it? I mean, I, I don't know if there's such thing as writer's block for me, whereas I, I have a million ideas. There's um, procrastination and my PlayStation and my guitar <laughs> and stuff that happens. Um, but I don't know if there's necessarily mental writer's block. It's yeah. Just, yeah, some days I just wake up and want to do other things. <laughs> but but you do it, though. You sit down and you, and, and you just do it. Yeah, not as, not as much as I should, but... Yeah, but I do. Yeah, but, but there is that moment. There's that sweet spot when you just you're just writing and you're just in the zone. You're in yep. the flow, and that yeah. just happens. And it was just like it just doesn't happen on its own. You have to sit down at the computer and just yeah. hammer it out. Yeah, I think I don't know if it. I want to say it was Stephen King who said this, but I don't know if it actually was him. Um, but if you wait, if you sit there and wait for you know the moment, it's never going to happen. Yeah, so to, and a lot of that too is. If you sit down and you start, the first, you know, 400 words you write might be garbage, but you're at least you get your mind thinking along that lines and your, you know, stuff comes after that. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think about the future of, of, of books and, and, and crime novels? And I mean, like, do you see that there's a there's a still a lot to write about? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're we're a messed up society. We're not going to stop. So there's always going to be something happening. I mean, whether it's, you know, true crime or politics or science experiments gone wrong. Um, yeah, there's, there's always going to be something as far as the future of books goes. I think there's always going to be readers and whether it's, you know, we saw the huge dip when Amazon, you know, hit the marketplace big, but indie bookstores are coming back there's a lot yeah. more of them opening i mean toad's still here this place is gorgeous and it's it is. a huge space and it's you know there's quite a few people here every time i've come here so yeah i definitely i don't think it's going anywhere i mean books are yeah. books are we're always going to have books we're always going to have another. books yeah yeah is there an audible version of this is somebody recording a uh, an audio book there is not at this point and i don't think anyone wants to hear me ramble for four hours so it won't be me recording <laughs> <laughs> i do have the equipment so i could definitely read this um benjamin thomas your your book is jack be quick and it is it's a it's a fantastic read thank you it is it's exactly what people need it's like if you're going to the if you're going to the beach for the summer or you're going away to summer camp i highly recommend this i've i've written i've not i haven't written 
Eric, what's wrong with you? Um, I've I've read the first couple of chapters, and of course, and the, you know it's a good book when everybody else in your family steals your copy, and you're <laughs> okay. going around the house and you find it like in your son's room, and you nice. know next year you next year wife's um, side of the bed. So well, anyway, we can't wait to f- see what you come up with next. Thank you, and thanks for uh, having me on the show. And Toadstool, thank you for having us here. And yeah, special thanks, Toadstool. Yeah. Thank you both for coming. All right. This has been the Fedora Chronicles radio show and a co-production of the Diesel Punk podcast. You can find out more about us by going to our websites, thefedorachronicles.com and dieselpunks.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. You can find these links on our homepages. Be sure to visit our sponsors, Chester Cordite, Landron Artifacts, and the Trinity Whip Company. Also, check out the friends of our show, Penman Hats, and Reconstructing History. Once again, this is Eric Render King Fisk signing off. And keep your chins up and your fedoras on.